Hey friends, this is Hannah Wedger, an agriculture teacher in St. Paul, Minnesota, land of 10,000 lakes. And I'm here to talk all things agriculture education related, curriculum, classroom management, FFA, career development events, SAEs, and whatever else you wanna hear about. It's basically me sharing chapters from my book of agriculture with all of you. So let's dig in. All right. Hello, friends, and welcome to an episode of Egg with Miss Wedger. I am here with one of my Instagram pals, and it's so fun. We've been trying to kind of do this all summer, and finally we got a time to get together, um, even though my kids tried to uh, foil our plans. But I have with me um, Cara Carlotto. Butler, and she is here to chat about being in industry before teaching, which I think is so cool. And I think when we think about agriculture, I think this happens a lot more than in other um, areas of education. And so I'm excited to hear her just kind of story and how she got here um, and got into the spot that she is now teaching. And how agriculture education is a little bit different for her because of the experiences that she's had. So without further ado, I'm going to let her introduce herself a little bit. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Um, Like Hannah said, my name is Cara, and I live about an hour north of San Francisco in California. Teach at a school of about 1,000 to 1,100 kids. And we have around 250 students in our SSA program, which is exciting. I grew up in a very rural area, even further north of San Francisco in Humboldt County, where I was a member of SSA, 4-H and all that fun stuff. And then my parents had a farm to table restaurant before farm to table was cool, (laughs) uh, which is kind of fun. And always, that always kind of in the back of my head is the whole farm to table component. I'd love to teach that class someday. And I'm going into my fourth year of teaching, and this is my second site that I've been at. And I've taught an array of classes from ag econ and government to vet science, uh, bio or science, floral, a little bit of everything. So thanks again for having me. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so you were an FFA kid, you grew up, um, knowing FFA and 4-H and all of that. And then tell us about like, after high school, what did you do? Yeah, so I didn't grow up on a farm or anything, but always had, um, friends to kind of go to and help me with that component. So I, I knew I wanted to go into agriculture. When I was actually in high school, my ag teacher said, don't become an ag teacher. And I kind of always wondered why, and I was like, what the heck, you know? And now kind of looking back on things, I think he was kind of protecting me. He wanted me to have a family and a life in a sense. And I know we can do both, but he spent so much time at school. He kind of saw it in me. He was like, you you know, maybe try something different. So uh, I ended up majoring in ag business and going to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo and concentrated in marketing and sales. So I had this drive. I thought I was going to go into the produce world, which is huge in California. And I ended up kind of going into a small niche field. Right after school, I went um, and worked for a small grass-fed uh, beef company. 
family operated. We sold to some of the top restaurants in San Francisco. And like I said earlier, growing up in the restaurant industry, I was like, oh, this is so cool. I'm bringing both my passions together. Um, I worked with some Michelin star chefs, some great people. They're still my friends. And I did that for a couple years. Then kind of floated around a little bit. Always had a connection uh, with the restaurants and started working at farmers markets for a the oldest organic row crop in California. They started in 72 and serviced quite a few of the restaurants. So kind of stuck with that on the weekends while I started working exhibits for county fairs. And kind of got the whole operations of fairs and festivals um, throughout California. So that was fun for many moons. In between all that and I working with kids at the fairs, I realized I miss kids and being around them and decided I wanted to go back and get a teaching credential, which was not really my ag path. I was like, okay, I'm gonna teach elementary. So I got an elementary credential. I did all my student teaching um, with the littles, which I still love. Um, but once I fulfilled all that and finished it up, uh, there were no jobs really in my area. There was an opening though at the local high school for a part-time ag job. And they said, well, can you just do a long-term sub? I was like, sure, why not? This is great. Two weeks in, they said, you need to apply for the job. And lo and behold, I got the job. And it all kind of just went from there. It was like it was meant to be, I think. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's like the most like curved road I've heard oh, yeah. at that point in ag. <laughs> Definitely. There was one job I kind of left out in the mix of things, which I'll probably hit on later when I talk about incorporating lessons. But I worked for a restaurant who owns a large oyster farm out here on the West Coast for Hog Island Oyster Company. And it was then where I realized I could work in a restaurant as well as be an educator because I was educating the public about oysters and how they're grown. So it was kind of a cool little intertwine that I brought into the classroom later on. You know, I was just talking to a friend the other day and she was talking about um, the bees that their FFA chapter has on school grounds. And she had talked about how her administration was kind of like just upset and like concerned about bee stings uh, and didn't want a pollinator garden put in because the administrator thought like there would be an increase in bee stings. And she's like, we've had these bees for um, like a full year and no one's gotten stung. <laughs> and she's like, and that's my fault because I haven't like done the education piece of like teaching people. I mean, not even like students, but faculty about these bees. And that just really made me think about that. Like just within the agriculture industry, there's so much education that can happen outside of our students. Um, and so I, I really think that's a cool piece that you were able to do prior to being in the classroom. Definitely. So you um, apply for the job, you get the job. How long have you been teaching, did you say? So I'm going into my fourth year. The first school I was at, I was with two amazing teachers that have both been teaching for, I think, over 20 years or 15, 20 years right in there. And they're great mentors, uh, very helpful. I was 80% at the school, 
And then with some shifting around and things, they unfortunately had to cut my position after two years. Um, and that's when I took a year off and was working for the oyster company. And then um, the site I'm at now will be starting my second year. So four years total. So what does that look like for you? For first working in industry and then tra transitioning into education? It's kind of funny because you'd think it'd be completely different, but it's actually kind of similar. Um, you're just dealing with different age demographics. Um, so what I loved though about industry is, I mean, as you can tell, I did a lot of different things and I am a busy bee and I like having 20 million different things to do. This is actually the first summer I didn't have two jobs and my husband was like, don't do it like I was offered to go back somewhere he's like just take a break you can do it it's okay um so I think that's why professional development in Germinate this summer was like my outlet I'm like this is great I can do something um but being in industry I just I learned so much I learned what was out there what our community has to offer especially for our students and that's something I really wanted to bring into my classroom is these experts you know, I'm not an expert in everything, but there's so many experts out there that are willing to teach and give you that free kind of insight. When I was at um, my first school, that was one of the first things that I did when I was teaching floral design. Um, you know, the common thing, you go and get a tour of like your floral shop, your local shop. Um, but I ended up actually having people come into the class and teach different lessons too. I had a lady come in who does succulent uh, gardens on the weekends and that's her business and so she came in and taught the kids how to do succulent gardens like it was just nice to have somebody else come in and they knew a little bit more and it was exciting for the kids to be like hey I could actually maybe make a career out of this you know yeah. um with with my ag and econ and government class which was one of my favorite classes to teach there's the seniors that are itching to get out but they still had so much to talk about um, and explaining the effects of the industry on the economy. So we actually, their end of the year kind of reward was we toured the oyster farm that I had been working at. So I took that group of 18 kids out to the oyster farm. They got a full on tour, kind of a little bit on the biology side of things, but more so like economics, how do things work? Um, this company has restaurants and a farm. So how does that business work if you have a bad season? Um, the water's contaminated. We shut down for a month and we can't ship oysters. What happens? So it's just like farming. It's just the aquaculture version. And it was, the kids were really excited. And then at the end, of course, they learned how to shuck an oyster. And a lot of them have grown up around oysters. So they're excited to eat them too. And <laughs> but just kind of bringing that community and that feel into the classroom has just I think made things exciting for kids. Uh, my freshman, I brought the biologist from the oyster farm to the classroom. And just the questions they came up with just baffled me. I'm like, you guys never have these good of questions. <laughs> like, this is awesome. Um, so I think it's just important as teachers that we use our resources that we have within our community, not just for donations or, you know, to help out with this or that, but just bringing them into the classroom. And I'm hoping to do that now. We're going back completely virtual. Um, we were supposed to be hybrid, but now we're completely virtual. 
and I worked with some of our local vets on doing some videos during the spring when oh. we um, shut down. And it was really cool because they got to see a local vet talk about how to give an injection to a puppy. And they literally just like texted me the video. I'm like, this is awesome. And put a little like two minute video up for the kids to watch because they lost out on doing their injection lab. Yeah. So it's just kind of fun to like keep those connections and really know what's out there. I mean, there's so many different people that I've worked with. I feel like the list could go on and on. <laughs> well, and I feel like those, in, like that's building those relationships with industry partners. So they are confident in what you're teaching in the classroom. Um, they're, you know, students are being able to see a face so that they're, if they're going to interview for jobs or whatever, they feel like they have a connection. Um, and if you're having those people come into your classrooms, if they're connecting with students, I feel like they're that much more to, they're that much more likely to support you in whatever it might be. If you need an extra voice to support you, or if you need a financial donation, like I just, as a, if I were in business, I would feel like I would be way more inclined to support someone or support a program if I knew what was going on and have a vested stake in that program. Yeah, definitely. There's actually, um, we have a pretty uh, large dairy industry in our area. And one of the farms is an organic um, producer. And he was actually one of our um, customers at the restaurant I worked at and so I got to know him really well he was one of the first to have a methane digester on his dairy farm and it was the coolest thing I mean I'm serving him dinner and we're talking about manure because that's just the nerdy stuff we do right yeah. um, and so he's explaining it to me then I'm better able to explain it to my bio kids and I'm like you guys it's in our backyard like it's not four hours away or across the country like innovative cool stuff is going on right here and him, me showing interest and him showing interest in my program he's now partnered with another school that's closer to him and is willing to help out he always wants to donate ice cream which is awesome <laughs> and yeah there's just it's just that fun little thing where people in the community like you said knows what's going on in your program and sees all the good and the excitement that the kids have, the potential to employ them at their companies, it, it excites them too. Absolutely. Okay, so I have a question for you. And um, for someone, who, for a teacher who has not worked in industry first, and maybe like, like, I know personally, I'm going into a new community. How do you like, where do I build those relationships? You know, like how do I figure out who are those key industry people? Where are like those secret places that I need? To, I feel like there's secret meetup places that I need to go or something. Um, what are, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Well, this is a deep, dark secret and everyone's gonna make fun of me for this one. But you have to find that local itty bitty tiny dive bar. Mm. <laughs> and you can have a Shirley Temple, you can do whatever you want in there, but you just turn up your ears and you kind of listen. And you, and then you start asking questions with your server. Um, it might be that breakfast spot too. There's always that little local breakfast spot in town and you have to go early 
you know, maybe around seven. You have to have your husband take the kids that day. Um, And just go with a friend and just kind of immerse yourself. And that's just, my husband makes fun of me. He's like, you ask so many questions. And I'm like, that's how you find things out. And you meet people and it's fun. Other resources though, if you have a local farmer's market, um, finding out who the coordinator is of that farmer's market because they know all of those farmers and producers. That's a great resource too. That's a really Um, Just kind of getting out there and putting your feelers too. Um, I don't know. Do you guys have boosters and advisory committees? How does that work in uh, your area? Yeah, I mean, I think most um, states, I know every state's so different, but I think based on Perkins funding, if you want Perkins funding, you have to have some type of like advisory committee. And so I know that like the district that I've come from had an advisory committee, the one that I'm going into has an advisory committee. And I think those are probably good places to start too. Yeah. And it's just, sometimes that can get a little political and it's hard because then you're like, you know, you're like, am I taking sides? No, I just want to learn about things. Um, But having the local fundraisers and events that are going on in your community too, like the little, if there's like a local fair or even it's a big fair or a chili cook-off, you know, whatever it might be. And just going with your family too, because you get to enjoy and relax, but then you see what your community enjoys too. So if there is like a local chili cook-off, well, how can my chapter have a booth for that local chili cook-off? You know, just finding out what the community flocks to and then how your kids can be part of that flocking. Those are some great ideas. I'm already thinking, I think tonight is our like community farmer's market in the new new school districts. So I'm like, <laughs> maybe we can stop by there and then swing by the pizza place. <laughs> My husband, there you go. Because I am kind of a nosy person and I am very much like you, like I'll be listening and listening and then someone will say something and then, then I'll ask a question. He gets the same way. He's like, come on let's keep going let's keep moving so but that's how you get information I think is just being able to being willing to ask those questions and kind of meet new people and kind of gauge where everyone's at yeah Uh, I think something else that I've noticed just from your Instagram is you also have your little your side gig right of the landscaping yeah (laughs) well I kind of did the same thing I ended up like kind of pet sitting and like taking care of horses and those people that you're doing it for I feel like they're so involved in the communities too they're a resource as well yeah absolutely that's a really good point too I think sometimes we get like kind of stuck in like you get like those blind spots like you don't realize what you're doing that might provide you with some opportunities you're helping me already (laughs) um So I'm thinking about you be like doing industry, going into teaching, um, and then just thinking about like maybe someone out there is like in industry right now and considering teaching. What do you feel like the, like some of the pros and cons would be just being like, just really open and honest about like, what do you feel like has went well or the good and what has been more of a struggle or things that um, just were not what you expected? Definitely. Uh, The process definitely differs, obviously, from state to state, but it also differs from district to district. Mm -hmm. So 
since I had the elementary credential, I didn't um, go towards a single subject credential. What I did is I asked kind of for a waiver based on my work experience. So I have a CTE credential with uh, emphasis in agriculture and you have to have, um, for the district I was in, it was at least five years of experience in letters of recommendation and then the state clears that, which takes at least six months. It's kind of a process and you can get a preliminary and all that fun stuff. But luckily I had the education hours done through my credentials. So I was kind of able to clump them together a little bit. Um, because of the demand here in California for ag teachers, you are starting to see more people come out of industry um, right around, you know, in your, their 30s. Some people even in their 40s and 50s are just ready for a change. It's not easy, though. If you are so used to industry and don't, your social skills with adults is totally different than social skills with children. And some people, they're not cut out for it. You know, it, it's a little bit harder. So being aware, I think, of that, I've seen some people come in from industry and they're like, whoa, this is not what I expected. So definitely do your research. What are you looking at? Go in and shadow somebody for a day. See what it's about to be around teenagers, especially for a few hours. You know, what are their needs and are you going to be able to fulfill those needs for sure? Um, so it was a lot of steps kind of in the process of finally getting there. Um, like I previously said, bringing in that industry relations has been so helpful and I feel like kind of made my life a little bit easier. Um, staff meetings are always different because I've never been in a meeting quite like a teacher meeting. <laughs> and sometimes you're like, wow, these questions, like they could have done this beforehand or, you know, you start thinking about those things. So it, it is a different world for sure in that respect. Like um, an email. <laughs> or you get an email and it makes no sense you're like this is so vague that maybe we do need a meeting for this <laughs> yeah. um yeah and then I would say also though it's been hard because some people will assume well you you didn't do all the teaching stuff we had to do and I'm kind of a unique character because I did go through a credentialing program it just wasn't um, topic or subject base. So I went through a lot of the whole education components, but some people don't have to do that. And so you kind of get that look like you can get looked down upon. Uh, and it's kind of, it makes you kind of sad. You're like, but hey, I'm, you know, I'm doing everything I need to do. Like, what tips do you have? Am I doing something wrong? Let me know. Uh, so it's kind of hard to fill in your little niche. The age thing though is definitely hard as well. Because typically when you're coming out of industry, you're older in age, but you're new. So it's like, are my peers the 22 and 23-year-olds? Or are my peers the ones that are a little bit older and we have the same wavelengths and generational things on topics? Mm -hmm. And I, everyone always says I have an old soul. So I kind of lean towards that older side of things. But then I love the new and fresh ideas too, because it gets exciting. And I love change. Change does not scare me. I embrace it. It's exciting. And like you and Sarah said, hey, there's got to be some good in it somehow, right? <laughs> um, yeah, somewhere, somehow, we'll find it. Exactly. So yeah, there's definitely those, those hills you kind of have to go up and down. Um, and then obviously the, the obvious things, you look at monetarily. 
sometimes when you leave industry, you're taking a little bit of a pay cut to go into education. But you really have to think, you know, where your heart is and what do you want to do and where do you want to be? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that I think it's interesting. And I, I would really um, encourage someone who is thinking about moving from industry into education to do what you said and shadow a classroom. And I think shadow a couple different classrooms because I know like where I taught in St. Paul, that classroom feels way different than 20 minutes outside of the cities in a suburb. And then if you go 20 minutes further, you're in more of a rural area. And those classrooms and those environments can feel so much different and you have different clientele as well. Um, So if it's really something that someone's thinking about and they're kind of on the fence, I think getting into a few different classrooms. And I know I've had, uh, I think three or four um, people come in that have been doing just that. And I'm more than willing to have someone come sit in my classroom and and see what it's, see what the crazy chaos is like. I, I would rather have them do that and, and say, oh yeah, I think I can do this. I like this. This feels good. Or this is uncomfortable. I don't like this. I'm going to have to go a different way or whatever else. Like, I Exactly. And sometimes people will associate, like if they're in industry, they're like, everyone's, you know, pro ag, boom, boom, let's go, let's go. But you're dealing with all walks of life when you step into a classroom, like you're saying, the different demographics. The first school I was at, I had a lot of kids who knew about agriculture and they knew their SAE and they're like, we don't need your help. We're good. We know what to feed our steer. I'm like, okay, but I need to come and make sure it's okay. You know, but they, they had that little background. The school I'm at now is they, none of them come from any type of background. They're excited and they want to learn about agriculture, but I also have some that are like, okay, so chocolate milk, is that the brown cow? You know, it is that extreme. And so knowing your clientele and what you're going to be dealing with is huge. I 100% agree. And yeah, I think sometimes you can't really prepare yourself for it. And sometimes you can kind of like get a general idea, but, um, I mean, when I switched from more of a teaching in more of a rural area to teaching in the most urban program, one of the most urban programs um, in the state, that was like, that was a huge culture shock. And I'm very much like you said, students were like, the egg, the chicken, how does this happen? Roosters, like they just, and, and so, I don't know. I really enjoy teaching in that um, type of program too, though, because I felt like there was so much like growth that could happen and the kids were eager to learn about agriculture. That's a little those bit. Of, a, yeah. Those aha and breakthrough moments are, they're just warm and fuzzy. They make you feel really good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, any other advice you would give to someone that maybe is thinking about that transition from industry to education? Well, obviously things are kind of different. My answers would be different now than it would have been a year ago, considering our climate and all. But I think also coming from industry, you might be a little bit, you might be one up on that, um, dealing with um, what, uh, what our society has faced with 
coronavirus and things like that, uh, those coming from the industry, they're a little more aware. They may have seen more. Um, they might know what's going on from the production side of things, our supply chain. I mean, bringing those kind of things into the classroom is huge because a lot of us are so undereducated on why is there a shortage in this or why do we have a surplus, surplus of that. Um, so they might have that little extra knowledge and if you think you're ready for that change and want to share it, that would be great and it could help educate our youngsters and put them in a position that maybe could change some things around, which is exciting. Um, but just being aware of what you're stepping into, um, it's not easy for sure, but the rewards are pretty darn exciting and you get to work with some amazing people throughout the nation. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, just personally for me within the past year and a half, the, that kind of like nationwide connection has really had a huge impact on me. Um, and I would say not just with agriculture teachers, but just with social media and being able to connect with various different like farms and whatever else that are on Instagram and on social media that I can follow and see what they're doing um, has been really, really cool. Um, I think of Five Mary's Farms, which is out by you guys in California. And I love following it because they do such a good job of like that, that education piece of showing us what they're doing and why they're doing it. Um, and part of me is like, dang, I wish I was like in industry so that I could like have that inside knowledge to be able to share that. Cause I feel like, you know, as agriculture teachers, I think we each have our niche area that we like really love and know inside and out. And then the rest of it is kind of like, we're waiting through gathering the information as we go and then handing it out to the kids. Um, and so I always think about like, gosh, I, I want that insider information. What else can I learn? How are they doing this? Why are they doing this? Um, and so I think, I think, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> I was just going to say, I think that's such a huge um, benefit if you are coming from industries, you have some of that insider information to be able to give to those kiddos. I think that's kind of like something where I do find myself immersing myself when we go on vacations or trips. There's If we like sought out something, we're like, oh, I want to go see that. When I was working in the fair industry, the goal was to go to a fair wherever we were going. Um, but now, like, I just went and saw my best friend in Arizona, and she works for one of the largest um, egg production companies here on the West Coast. And she's like, well, do you want a tour of the houses? And I'm like, of course, let's go on a tour. And we did, like, a whole hour driving tour to their different houses, and she's telling me about the different feed and which hens are in which house and how certain restrictions require, like, the Eglin's best eggs, they have their own, their own hens. And California um, has their own hens too, like different restrictions and different feed. And it was kind of nerdy and exciting at the same time. And I'm now really excited to share that with my kids. And I think when I get excited in my passion shows, then they're like, oh, that's kind of cool. And then their brain starts ticking like, well, what about this? Or what about that? Uh, the other thing that I always try to ask when I am at like a new facility or getting a tour is like their employees. How are they hired? Um, do you work with the visa programs? How does that work? 
um, she actually works with their local, um, one of their prisons and they work with inmates and they're part of their staff, like really cool systems. And I was just like, this is so neat to be able to share with other people. Cause I mean, it is public knowledge. It's not like they're hiding anything. It's, it's a really cool process that works for their business model. And I think that's something that kids should know about too, you know, the opportunities and, um, the different, how the different visas work and things like that. That is, what a great question. Why have I not thought to ask that question? Like, how do you hire employees? Because how, that's so helpful to be able to know like the ins and outs. And I'm sure, like you said, it's public information, but I learn best when someone tell, like someone is going to tell me their process or whatnot instead of me researching. Exactly. That's a great, great tip. I always find too, like if I've been somewhere and I've been able to like tour their facilities or whatever else, then I'm able to story tell. And I feel like my students learn so much better when I'm like telling them a story of what I've done or what I've got to see. Like that storytelling piece, I feel like can be really beneficial in the classroom and that curiosity. There's one story that I think I told, let's see, four times, at least to my kids, and then probably another four times this past year. Uh, we do professional development within our regions in California, and we were able this year as teachers to go and tour a milling facility where they're pushing logs through um, to build decks and homes and things like that. And it was amazing. And I grew up in a town where I'd been on like all these mill tours before. So I've seen the progress, but I still was excited. Like what's changed? So we get in there and literally the second thing we see is this guy sitting in the most comfortable, like comfy swivel chair with extra padding. He's got three or four computers in front of him and lights are lights everywhere. And then he's got a window with all these logs coming in to the facility and then you see his joystick and he is literally using the joystick and the different buttons to pick up the logs and determine their size just like you would in one of those games the claw games where you pick up the toys yeah. at like the pizza parlors and so he's picking them up determining their size sorting them where are they gonna go and I'm like, you guys, I was telling kids, I'm like, it's this giant video game. And he's just like, he's in the middle of it. And that was the most attention I had gone from my freshmen all year. They're all looking at me. They're like, we can get paid to play a video game. <laughs> and it, it was, it was great. And I, I love that story. And so that's like you said, it's that storytelling component and you get them like hooked and you're painting that picture for them. And then if you want to take it a step further, you show them a little video of the actual operation. Yes. So. I love that. That is so fun. <laughs> you had me too. I was on the edge of my <laughs> What is he doing in this big comfy chair? Why? I feel like my three-year-old. Why? Why is he doing that? What is he going to do next? Exactly. Oh, so fun. Oh, gosh. It just makes me think about like, um, I think ag teachers just in general, I think a lot of us do a good job of it, but just being able to get out in industry and do those tours and tag along on those rides and whatever else it is to be able to see what's happening in our communities. There's so much happening. There's so much happening that I don't think, I mean, half of us know about. I just think about like 
I'm just manufacturing in the area that I live. And I know some of it because my husband works in a manufacturing facility um, and they take big one ton rolls of paper and cut it down into sheets so that the printer can print on it. But then he tells me about that like whole chain that, you know, like that supply chain that you're talking about. And there are literally, I mean, that's just the paper industry. There's so many mm -hmm. other facets. It just blows my mind. We could go on tours for days, I think. <laughs> exactly. We play a little game when we're doing our career unit. I think the game's more for me, but it's kind of fun. So freshmen, they have no clue what they want to be, right, when they grow up. But we still try to figure out what are your interests, what are you into. And so you have some kids in your class who are like, well, I'm not going to be a farmer. I'm not going into agriculture. I don't need to do this. It's like, that's fine. But we're looking at how could we maybe tie your profession to ag? So, you know, you, you get a few people, they're like, I'm going to be a doctor or nurse. And we're like, okay, well, you know, you, that's comparable to a vet. Pretty straight across humans versus animals. We get it. But then um, I had one girl, she was an amazing artist. And she's like, well, I just, you know, I want to draw. I want to do this. I said, well, you could make labels for produce companies or design their stickers that go, you know, when you go to the grocery store and you bag, buy, a, excuse me, buy a bag of carrots, there's a sticker on there, right? You could be the one designing those. And she's like, wait, really? And she's like, well, how much do they make? And I said, well, it kind of depends if you're, the company hires you or you could be a contractor. You know, you could, um, for one company, you're gonna design their packaging and you're gonna get a flat rate. And then you're going to do maybe two more companies throughout the year. So it could add up. And her wheels just started turning. She's like, I could make that much money being an artist. It's, yeah, if you're good at what you do, you know, but you're still working with agriculture. <laughs> and so this went on, you know, I've got the girl who she wants to be a pianist. I said, well, you, you're going to be writing jingles for an agricultural product someday. You know, it's, it's a little far-fetched to a point, but it was really fun because it got to a point where I would go to the next group and then I'd have kids listening and they're like, hey, come, come get my next. How can you relate it to agriculture? And it was just really funny because they kind of got excited about careers where at the beginning it was like, I don't want to do this. You know, this isn't fun. And we just kind of worked through it. So, yeah, I always say anything can be related back to agriculture. Like anything that you say, we can bring it back to agriculture. Um, I've had students that are, say like, I love taking these classes. I love agriculture, but I don't think I'm going to, you know, I don't think I want a job in agriculture. And I'm like, tell me what you think you want to do. And we will just narrow it back down to agriculture. Like we can find a connection. It is fun. Exactly. Yeah. Well, is there anything else that we didn't talk about that you want to share with um, the people who are listening? No, I feel like we covered quite a bit. I mean, we could definitely go down a lot of rabbit holes and talk about things for a long time. Um, but I would just say to like fellow teachers, just get out there. And with this time of, you know, whether you're starting face-to-face, -face, hybrid or virtual, you personally have the opportunity with a little bit of flexibility now of going and visiting these places and finding out what's out there, making those connections and then bringing that back to your classroom. Um, there's so many people that wanna share their story. There's a lot of people that are not able to go out and work either. Maybe they're working from home. They wanna jump on a Zoom with kids. They wanna to talk to them about what they do. You know, are they the carrot buyer for 
Lucky's or Safeway or whatever, Kroger, whatever your chain, your grocery store chain is. That was something um, we also did in Ag Econ is we went to the grocery store and we talked about placement of items. We got a full tour of the produce department. Why are things placed where they are? And then they had a little scavenger hunt they did together. But those were amazing tours. But maybe that's something you're going to have to go do. And if you take the video or maybe you're the voice behind it and you can put it out to your kids, they're going to be more receptive to it than just like a video that you post in Google Classroom. So make those connections with those people. They want to talk to your kids. And then, you know, maybe that's preparing them for a future career as well. I love it. What great advice. Um, okay, we're getting to my favorite part here, and that is the three questions. So first question for you is, who has had the most influence on your teaching career? Well, most likely it's going to be my mom. She started teaching pretty much right out of um, college, and she taught for too many years. I can't even keep track at this point. She was a PE teacher, but she also had her um, degrees in history and English and was able to kind of help and sub as she was having kids. So she was all over the place. Then I remember when I was in sixth grade, I'm a lot younger than my siblings, my mom went back to school to get her master's and I would go with her to Humboldt State and I would sit in the little lobby and I worked on my homework while she was in her master's courses. So she's always been growing and developing and she's actually retired now for about gosh three or four years and she's been subbing and now during all this craziness she's agreed to take on a long-term sub and get back in the PE classroom which I tell her I'm like you're absolutely crazy but at the same time I look at her and I'm like you are the reason I am the way I am and everyone calls me KJ Karen Jr. So um I would say, though, her influences have always been pretty amazing. That's wonderful. Yeah, I, I can definitely see the connection to your mom and following her footsteps. Okay, next question. What's your go-to order at your favorite restaurant? Well, with my <laughs> restaurant background, this is like probably one of the hardest questions on the face of the earth. Um, you could tell us. On... <laughs> what was that? You can tell us a couple. We'll take a couple. Well, if we head to San Francisco, which is where my sister's in the restaurant industry, um, there's this place called Original Joe's, and their uh, menu and recipes are the closest to uh, my family's restaurant um, when it was open. And usually what we'll do, my sister and I, we will split a New York steak with um, fried prawns. And then you get a side of ravioli in a red meat sauce. So you're able to dip things in the red meat sauce as well, like a spaghetti sauce. Uh, so that's kind of, I would say, one of our feel goods. Mm -hmm. um, locally here in the town that I live in, um, my husband and I definitely have a few different spots we go to. But when we really just kind of need that feel good, we probably end up with Mexican food at one or two of the places here in town. Oh, but ultimately, I will have to say a good steak. <laughs> I'm with you. That sounds delicious. This question always makes me like, ooh, where am I going to go to dinner tonight? <laughs> exactly. I, we're, we're coming up on lunchtime here. So 
Um, all right, last question. What are three of your simple joys? Um, well, one would definitely have to be um, my dog, Reba. She's chocolate lab and she's about ready to turn two. I don't know. Oh, she's, she's pulling one of her crazy moves right now. She's laying on her back with her legs in the air. But uh, our simple joy is when we go to the dog park in the morning or in the evening. It's like all of our woes and problems just like disappear. We're outside, the fresh air, even if it's raining, she's rolling in the mud. Like I just don't think about anything else. So it just makes me feel really good. Yeah. Um, the other one would have to be going north to my family and visiting them up in Humboldt County. And it would be redwood trees. So when I left and went to school, there were no trees. You like drive away and you're like, gosh, where did all the trees go? And you kind of took it for granted. Now, every time I go home, I'm like, oh my gosh, I lived amongst these like giant majestic things and they're amazing. So every time we're up with my mom, we either try to get to a trail or a river where we're surrounded by redwood trees, which is definitely a simple joy. And then the third would probably be finding a series on Netflix that my husband and I can actually watch together. And, and it, it just, it gets us both really excited. So we are obviously enjoying the Yellowstone craze right now. Um, but we've been through quite a few of those shows and it's, he's, that's, I think the one time where he's like, you have to get off your phone. Come on, get off your phone. So it's, it's our time together, even though we're watching a, a show, but it's, we're both able to relax and um, agree on something. <laughs> That is so fabulous. My husband always laughs at me because the stuff that I pick is not the stuff that he would like to normally watch. Um, but he's such a champ and usually just enjoys the time together and being yeah. able to relax. But <laughs> I need That's to the same that Yellowstone craze. I know that everyone's been watching it and I feel like I'm left behind right now. <laughs> it, it's a good one. It's pretty intense though. There's a lot going on. Uh, we just started another one. It's Queen of the South, and it's another fun one. Well, he, um, my husband even agreed to some subtitle ones, and those were some of his favorite. I was surprised. Oh, and yeah, there's one called Sawdust. It's great. And then the other night, we were almost to the end of the short season of uh, Last Chance You, and he's like getting ready to go to bed. I'm like, what's the last episode? And he's all, it's okay, just watch it. I've only been watching it because you wanted to watch it. Oh, like, oh okay. Thanks, sweetie. <laughs> oh, so sweet. Well, yeah. I have so enjoyed spending time chatting with you and learning from you and all the things. Um, if someone wants to get a hold of you or connect with you, what is your um, Instagram that they can chat with you? Definitely. So the Instagram that I use quite a bit is veggie, V-E-G-G-I-E underscore slinger, S-L-I-N-G-E-R 4.0. Um, when I sold produce at the farmer's market for eight years, the joke was we were veggie slingers. So I was like, oh, this is really fun. And then that 4.0 for the grade point average. So yeah, veggie underscore slinger 4.0. Uh, follow me definitely reach out. Love to share ideas um, with anyone and everyone. Thank you again, Hannah. Yeah, thanks.
You just finished listening to Ag with Miss Wedger, where I'm sharing chapters from my book of agriculture with each of you. I hope you enjoyed listening and learned a little bit more about our topic for today. Visit my Instagram at Mrs. Wedger to follow along on my daily journey as an agriculture teacher, a wife, and a mama at two. If you have any questions or ideas on topics you want me to dig in and cover, or if you, yeah you, want to be a guest, you can send me an email at agwithmisswedger at gmail.com. I hope you have a great week and we will talk to you soon. Bye-bye everybody.